When we were growing up, we marked things that happened that defined our generation. There's a generation right now that this is going to be their defining moment. Hello and welcome to Cool Time Life. I'm your host, Steve Prentice. Each of our Cool Time Life podcasts focuses on a topic dealing with people, productivity and technology, and each offers ideas and facts you need to know about to thrive in today's busy world. An index of our podcasts is available at steveprentice.com under the podcast tab. So we find ourselves suddenly in a virtual world. Not by choice, necessarily. We have been barred from the very human action of physical contact and have been forced to redefine pretty much every element of our life now as a remote activity. And although we will likely revert to something resembling normality once the curves have been flattened and the treatments have been developed and dispersed, it's likely that our relationships with our fellow humans will never be quite the same. And technology is going to play a much greater role than ever before. To help us understand this, it is my pleasure to welcome Howard Swisser to the podcast. Howard studied mass media at the University of Toronto and also holds a degree in industrial design from the Ontario College of Art and Design. He did a postgraduate in application development, and his exquisitely beautiful designs for computers showed the world just how these devices can truly be elements of a person's life rather than just simply sterile boxes. Wired Magazine once called him a geek while also placing one of his computer designs at number one on its Christmas wish list. So, Howard, welcome. Thank you, Steve. So, here we are meeting in a virtual space to talk about how people meet in a virtual space. So, how do you think this whole forced approach to using virtual technology at this time of outbreak, how do you think this is going to affect them when you look at them both from their intellectual and informational side and also their emotional and tribal side? It's interesting because it goes right back to a lot of what we did when we created Suisse Computers. I mean, we're social animals. That's what people are. Whether that technology was fire or steel or a hut or a computer, it's a technology that we created in order to make our lives better, easier, and just help us gather around things. It's hard to say what normal is going to be. You know, when we were growing up, we marked things that happened that defined our generation. There's a generation right now that this is going to be their defining moment. Before we started recording here, I said, you know, I was going to turn off my video to save bandwidth. But the video component of a chat is definitely that part where the body language, the, the facial gestures and so forth do naturally lead a conversation in real life. People can sense when they can jump in and jump out of a conversation based on nonverbal communications that people pick up on. Do you find that the digital representation is all that we uh, hoped for? Is it going to work in terms of allowing people to continue to relate on a human level? Not having that face to face when there isn't that physical connection, when the person's not right there. It's like that person exists in voice only. They're not real, right? But it is a back and forth. It's a partnership. And yeah, and it, it's harder to do when you don't have that person in front of you. So the, the technology separates us in that, but brings us together in so many other ways. Um, I've had video conferences in the last couple of weeks from somebody sitting on their sofa in their rec room and their kid is crawling across their lap and, uh, you know, they're in casual clothes and it's a very different image than one would put forward. And this is interesting because a lot of the people who design these kinds of software do have algorithms, AI-based things that will actually cut out uh, so-called annoying noises. 
but I think the humanization of people, they are in their homes. And maybe you'll see a family member walk by. Does that or does that not detract from somebody's professional expertise and presence? It's appearing, at least in my eyes, that uh, no, I think it humanizes relationships. It's a kind of a neat thing rather than hiding your background with a virtual background or turning off the video, uh, that you can have that humanization through the technology. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your train of thought, it's different when you're not having a back and forth conversation face to face with somebody, but you want the digital to be taken care of so you can focus on the human interconnection and business uh, relationships. These sort of little insights into people's lives make people more human, more relatable. You know, and I think that letting down of our Instagram perfection when it comes to our online personas is something that is unexpected, but refreshing and I think much more humanizing. That's a very good point, bringing Instagram into this, because uh, now you're talking about one's own shrine to their personal ego. Usually with the photographs that you choose to be the best representations of yourself, going back to the pre-internet era, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody who was talking about photographs and was saying that if you grew up in the 60s or 70s or even the early 80s, if you look, go back through your family albums, people only really had photographs of special occasions. That's when you took the camera out, birthday or holiday or going camping. But there wasn't so much day-to-day -day stuff because film cost money and it wasn't, uh, wasn't really such an easy thing to do. So now people have instantaneous access to building their personal shrine. And perhaps, yes, there's an expectation that every picture must be excellent and must show people off in their ideal light, where the live conversation we're having right now in your home with your cat, I think that makes for a great uh, rehumanization. These are the sort of tangible benefits that people maybe who are hesitant to do this are now able to discover that it's okay to be human while you're online. And I noticed that you just, you turned your video back on, which I think is fabulous. And I'm going to do the same. This is a perfect example where we're recording a podcast that's going to be audio, but you and I have decided to turn the video back on to pick up those cues from each other so that the conversation feels or is more natural. And why is it more natural? Because we need to pick up those cues. It, it's ingrained into us from tens of thousands of years of conversation, of storytelling, you know, of gathering around the campfire and, and passing along thoughts and beliefs and wisdom. I've been working on a new company that is somewhat about this, that's in the conference space. And, and one of the key things that I'm saying is it's the first ever word spoken over a telephone you know, by Alexander Graham Bell. Watson, come here. I need you. Watson, come here. I need to see you. Oh, yeah, right. You know, and really, you think about when that was first said, what it meant, you know, at being able to broadcast your voice over this piece of wire to a completely different place. And what's the first thing he said is, I need to see you. And now we're coming right back around to that, where we are literally in those separate rooms now. And I need to see you because picking up the phone and talking to somebody, it's not as good as, as having this face to face. It's a remarkable path of discovery that we're doing as we're talking about this as experts in the area to sort of actually legitimize this. Because yes, telephones are way better than a handwritten note, but uh, <laughs> I indeed, is that notion. I hate to interrupt you here, but you know, it's hysterical that you, know, you say that because at some point, someone decided that the phone was a real pain in the butt and that we should just send electronic messages to each other. It's funny.
just want to give you another example that was great fun for me uh, for the last couple of years I've been talking to my audiences about robots. Uh, the Double and the Beam are the two primary brands. These are robots that look like an iPad mounted on the mast of a Segway and they, they roll down the hallway and become your basically virtual self. If you don't want to fly to Vancouver or somewhere to go and speak or to work, you basically plug in your presence into this robot and drive it into the boardroom. And this again is given sort of a side eye to a lot of people saying how weird and strange this is. And a lot of them actually saw it for the first time when they watched Big Bang Theory and Sheldon had one. What a weird and strange thing. But once again, this is what leads to my mind is, hey, people can recognize that with sufficient visual you know, full torso visual, you can become a person even if you're doing so inside of a robot. Have you seen them? Are you familiar at all with those? I am familiar. I've seen them before. And, and I think that uh, a couple students, uh, they held a graduation ceremony in Japan using them just recently where they actually graduated. But I, I think it represents a physical avatar. You know, when you look at virtual as full virtual and augmented, it really is a physical representation of a virtual avatar. Whereas you say you've, you upload your self or your picture or your ability to control this remote robot as a, a stand-in for you. Well, it's the same thing in VR spaces. And, and I think, you know, eventually when technology and the computing power catches up, the AR spaces, which I think will be much bigger than VR spaces, your avatar, there won't be a separation between your avatar and how people react to your avatar and you yourself will see the ownership of technology and the legality of owning technology get to a place for privacy concerns and things like that where companies say, if you want to be on our system, these are our rules. You don't like it, don't use our system. So real names, validated people, etc. You will have to prove that you are who you say you are. And there will be a lot of restrictions because I think when we start to look at how this is going to maybe play out over the next 50 years, we're going to see um, commerce happening in there where two virtual people will trade something, you know, time, energy, product, what have you, for virtual currency. And, and you need to be able to validate that in a, in a legal way on a blockchain or, or, or what have you. So I think when we start to see these little pieces of companies realizing they don't need office space and people can remotely work and you are getting contractors, et cetera, and you never actually meet them and you're paying them through this. And when they go home, they are sharing with friends and family, your online identity will become a legal entity that's completely tied to your physical entity in the same way your passport or driver's license is. A blockchain certified avatar. I'm trying to decide whether that's more Philip K. Dick or William Gibson. There's a beautiful Blade Runner-ish type feel to that. But I think you're right. These things are emerging the same way that going back to the telephone. I find it so interesting that you went to the dystopian side rather than the Star Trek side. You know, and this is a question that I, I ask people, you know, and, and it's, it's funny because you learn a lot by asking one or the other, right? Star Trek or Star Wars? Cats or dogs? Star Trek very much was about equality, the socialism, we've done everything. The whole point of everything is the betterment of yourself. You don't need to work 
but you do because it makes you a better person. With Star Wars, it's always about that us versus them conflict, that that very capitalistic idea of there's only so much in the pie and the bigger piece you get, the less I get. Whereas with Star Trek was, let's make the pie bigger for everybody. Um, I will admit to you, I chose the dystopian alternatives because I like the fact that they are dirty. They are physically dirty. Blade Runner and Terry Gilliam's Brazil. These are all films where there's dirt on the ground. You know, they use fax paper for stuff. William Gibson. I mean, this is about the fact that human beings have a long trail of dirt and mistakes behind them, which I think obviously the Star Trek franchise tended to gloss over beautifully. So that's my preference. However, but it does it does tell about your vernacular, right? I think people's vernaculars now are going to be very different. People growing up now, their vernacular is going to be quite different. Um, And their children's vernacular over the next 50 years is going to be quite different. The way in which they view technology in their lives and what it means to be part of society because the boundaries of city, state, nation are breaking down. The other thing, of course, that makes it so interesting in talking to you about this is the the beautiful designs that you had done with computers, with Suiza computers. Are you still doing that? That is a past project. That was something that you very kindly interviewed me on a long time ago when we first got started and really helped us to, to reach a much bigger audience with our ideas. We opened up discussion about what it means to have technology as part of the family, as a repository of memories. The underlying ideas of that are still there, but they've developed and grown. And I think that AI and the machine learning and the sophistication in user experience and interface will bring us to better uses of technology. If you use a simple example of a video meeting, so I open up my video app, the blinds behind me close, my face lamp should automatically come on. Sensors in my office door reminds me to close the door. The furnace is made aware that my door to my office is closed and regulates the airflow to my room so I don't get too hot or too cold. My kitchen sensors confirm nothing's forgotten and tells me just or just turns them off. My phone automatically should go to vibrate and the system automatically launches a suite of applications that I need for the meeting based on preferences and the attached or reference documents. So all this can be done with a click of a mouse. It's the experience of integrating your life and needs with the technology that will drive that simple video conference and the ability to not only deal with that experience, but to create the interface that makes the items, the individual items and brings them together in a cohesive and organized manner will be left up to designers. There needs to be some sort of conversation between this technology. And I think that's where we'll see artificial intelligence really start to make interesting inroads is when artificial intelligence can look at these devices and say, hey, wouldn't it be great if... It's uh, one reason why I would like to post a link uh, and mention, you know, Suiza Computers as a place for people to go and have a look at, because even though this was a past project of yours, it's one of the things that struck me at the time was was turning a device from a, a quintessentially disposable plastic box into exactly that, a piece of beautiful furniture where the, the guts could be upgraded, certainly, but the actual art deco or just uh, you know, modernistic piece of furniture that was the computer just demonstrated that perfect integration between practicality and life. That's a, some really salient points in terms of how 
our physical components and our communication components will blend even further with our life. A lot of people's lives have been shaken to the core right now. Nothing is what it was. As an expert in machines, communication, and human existence, do you have any advice you would give to people in terms of how to survive this and what to look for in their future expectations of their lives? You know, I, I won't give advice to individual people. I think I'll give advice to the people who are going to be designing the technology that will help people get through this. And I think what we need to really focus, and, and, and it's perfect that you asked this question, Technology has to avoid being the spectacle and focus on being a great stage. This has been remarkably insightful, Howard, as I knew it would be. So where can people find you? Suisa.ca, so S-U-I-S-S-A dot C-A is my design website. Uh, that's my company. I do have an Instagram that's available through there as well as my LinkedIn and all the usual suspects, etc. I, I have a Discord server that I've been playing around with some VR uh, stuff on and, and chat. So, you know, I'm I'm available as well there if anyone wants to get in touch with me. And I have a couple other projects that I'm working on that are still up in the air right now because of what's going on, but they'll move forward. So this has been remarkable, Howard Swissa. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Cool Time Life. I wish you all the very best for all your projects, and I'm very sure we'll be speaking again very soon. I enjoyed chatting with you again, and I'll do what I can to put it on my social feeds. If you have a comment about this podcast or a question you would like answered in a future episode, please do let me know. You can drop me a line through the contact form at steveprentice.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Prentice, S-T-E-V-E-N-P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E. On Instagram at Steve underscore P underscore online and on LinkedIn. And if you like what you hear, please do subscribe and please do leave a review. And finally, please do tell one other person about this podcast. The theme music for the Cool Time Life podcast was obtained through podcastthemes.com. And until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Stay safe. And thanks for listening.